1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving. At your desk. Maybe at the gym. But you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach. And see a rocket launch or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com.
2: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Cricket Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host Andrew Mentzel. Joining me as ever is my co-host Paul Dennett. Paul, how are you? Good manners, I'm good. I watched a bit of the New Zealand-England highlights last
1: night and I was pretty heartened by that. New Zealand looked pretty good so I think it um, bodes well for a
2: competitive second half of the summer when they come out here. Absolutely, and uh, we have a special guest on the podcast today. Joining us is Channel 9 sports reporter, Jaleesa
0: Apps. Jaleesa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, thank you. I'm a cricket podcast newbie, but I am very excited.
2: I'm so excited to have you here because I've got like something like a sort of cricket tragic radar. So it's always <laughs> always <laughs> sort of bubbling away and... Like you just started bouncing up on the cricket tragic radar. You know, I would see you at cricket games, but then I would see you on your days off, you know, Instagramming that you were at the cricket, and it just, you know, just kept bobbing up on the cricket tragic radar, that you're a real cricket tragic. So I thought I had to get you on the podcast. Yeah,
0: well there's not much to do when you've got midweek RDOs to go to the cricket. Like what what a perfect way to spend them.
2: Absolutely. That's how I found Paul, Cricket Tragic Radar. Indeed. Um So it hasn't failed me yet. So thank you for coming on. Great to have you here. Our listeners in today's podcast, we're going to wrap up the first test. We also have a new test match award that we're going to uh, be giving out at the end of summer. So we'll give out those points. We've got the second test preview. We've got the cricket headlines. And then we've got Paul's cricket social media segment. Well, let's get into the first test wrap. Australia have beaten Pakistan at the Gabba by innings and five runs. And Paul, let's start with the selections. I thought it was a terrible selection by Pakistan to leave Muhammad Abbas out of the starting 11.
1: Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it's almost as though they've got the same problem that Australia sometimes has, that they value pace, out-and-out pace more than they should. I mean, his career record in first-class cricket is extraordinary. And for a while I thought, oh, maybe he's dipping in form because I looked, um, he's played a couple of games this year in the quaidy Azam Trophy in Pakistan for Southern Punjab. And he's taken five wickets at an average of 52. And I thought, oh, maybe he's starting to taper off a bit. But I looked at those games in, in detail. They were played on absolute roads. And he was actually probably the least bad of all the bowlers. So I think it's bizarre that he didn't play because he did well against the Cricket Australia 11 um, in Perth. He was probably the best bowler for Pakistan there. Hopefully he comes in in Adelaide. Yeah, Tim
2: Payne even said after the... First test, he was you know happy that he, they didn't have to face Abbas. So I if, don't
0: think they'll make the same mistake.
2: No, under yeah. lights you think they have yeah, to pick you'd him. You think they'd have to. And it, I thought the balance was wrong. Having all those young bowlers in the Pakistan side just looked out of whack. They needed someone with a bit of experience and the control that he brings as well. So, good pitch at the Gabba, but poor crowds. 45,891 total for the four days. Only 4,825 on the final day. Jalisa, what should they do at the Gabba? Should they play all the tests as day-nighters up there?
0: I didn't think the numbers were as bad as everyone thought, especially for the last day, because there wasn't really much in- incentive to turn up for the last day. It could have been over within a couple of hours. And I think this is probably the crowd numbers in general, in sport in general in Australia, are struggling. So I think it's a wider problem than just cricket at the Gabba. Uh, like if you look at sports like A-League is struggling massively, rugby league. I think it's just Australians in general aren't turning up to sport as much as we used to. Yeah, and
2: uh, I wonder what the ticket prices were on that last day. Like, did they do anything special and say, you know. I
0: I think it was a gold coin entry. Was it? Yeah, my understanding is. Well,
2: that's surprising then that more didn't turn up because I think that's a great incentive when they, they make it cheap to go. Yeah, but you and I and and Jaleesa are
1: the ones who'd likely go. But (laughs) I agree with Jaleesa's point. There wasn't a lot to turn up to, particularly the first test of the summer. You don't get to know the touring side. If you're not an absolute cricket tragic, I reckon a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't be able to name a single Pakistan player. Uh, And if they're going to be here for five tests and Brisbane was the fifth test, maybe there'd be some reason to turn up. But when they're three wickets down already, um, I could see why people wouldn't go.
0: I think, too, in the match generally, like, Pa- people don't really realise how good Pakistan actually are, and perhaps those T20s turned people off a little bit because they didn't look competitive, but they are competitive. And
2: I guess the first couple of days in the GABBA test, you just thought Australia's going to walk, you know, walk all over them. Yeah. The other thing as well, that Brisbane, um, we're comparing it to a pretty high bar. We're comparing
1: it to Sydney and Melbourne, where they mm. have the, the tests at the best time of the year, and... Large Ris- populations. Well, yeah, look at Brisbane. If you're going to drive to the cricket in Brisbane, what's the population that could potentially go? Brisbane, Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast, it's probably about three, three and a half million people. You Look at somewhere like Manchester, like the northwest of England has a population of 11 million. Manchester's um, ground probably is about 18,000, which is the sort of crowds they're getting. If this was at Old Trafford, it would have looked a very healthy crowd and everyone would have, would have said it's fantastic. I actually checked with Rick Finlay this morning, um, the statistician from ABC. and Fantastic just, fact-checking. Uh, thank you. And I just said to him, um, what, what's the crowds? I, I thought Brisbane doesn't compare too unfavourably to some other venues. And he just said... Without making any allowances for differing variables, Brisbane average attendance for tests this millennium is 68,100. Adelaide's is 100,300. Perth, including one at the stadium, is 58,500. So Brisbane's actually doing better than Perth, although sometimes with the whacker they would have been Ashes tests they couldn't have got more in than they wanted to. But I think that's to Jaleesa's point.
2: The crowd's not necessarily as bad as we think. Now, there was a big controversy during the match. The Pakistan first innings, Pat Cummins got the... Wicket of Muhammad Rizwan, and uh, it was very close to being a no ball. It wasn't called, so the wicket stood. Paul, thoughts on this controversy?
1: <laughs> well, I, I thought I might be the only person in the world who's going to defend the umpire. Um, because I actually was in the unique position that I was almost acting as the umpire because I was on the phone to you, Menes, when this happened. I had the sound down and Menes was away from the cricket for about three seconds and so I was giving him ball-by-ball commentary effectively. <laughs> we have to
2: edit that out, actually, what you just said. That you're away from the cricket. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I said, OK, there's a wicket. Oh, look, this looks like it could be a no ball. There's no part of his foot that's grounded that's behind the line, but... That's not what counts. You've got to look at the back of his heel. And the benefit of the doubt, the way the laws are written actually goes to the bowler here. And I said, I can't say for certain that there's not a millimetre of the back of that boot behind the line. I think the umpire is going to have to give this um, as not a no ball. And I think it's going to be controversial. And that's exactly what happened. And I think it's a bit unfair on the umpire that most people just look at that, oh, it's a no ball. Mm. The umpire didn't have that luxury. He had to only look at the laws of the game and, and sort of go very, very much on a sort of a uh by the letter. Like a legal of. interpretation. Yeah. And and the rest of us don't have to. So I I'm you know, I feel sorry for the Third Umpire. I think it was a pretty Difficult decision for him to do it. Jelisa,
2: you studied law at university. What's your interpretation? <laughs> of-
0: I completely agree with Paul. So, hooray! Um, oh, That's two I, of us I, in the whole world. Yeah, I think if you're looking at it so strictly, I look at this picture right now and I still can't tell that that top of that heel is not just a little bit back. So, I think you have to give the ben- you have to give the benefit of doubt to the bowler. So, I think it was the right call. But this one didn't outrage me as much. Everyone was so outraged about this call. But this one didn't bother me as much as just no balls in general in the whole game. So particularly on day two, Pakistan were bowling no balls, no balls. And none of them were getting called up, and then you see that there's the Warner wicket for Nazim which I just felt so bad for him. He had his first wicket taken off him, and you're just sitting there going, well, yeah, it was always going to be taken off him, because he'd been bowling no balls all day. He
2: bowled like 20, hadn't yeah,
0: he? Yeah, there were 21 no balls that were missed, and I think that's a bigger problem, because you know umpires not calling these no balls is really affecting the game now, and it, I don't think it's the umpires' problem. I think it's just technology has made that a problem. You
2: know, they, they have to sort it out. This. Has Has to be a sort of wake up call to the ICC that they need to actually enforce no balls. And I I was watching um, Robert Craddock on the back page last night. We're recording on Wednesday, and he was saying that there was an incident in New Zealand where a bowler was called a no ball, but he actually got Adam Voges out Mm -hmm. bowled, I think. Yeah, and then because it had been called a no ball, obviously he was not out, but. He went on to make 200 and when you saw the replay, it wasn't a no ball. So the umpires are in a mindset that you're better off not calling them and then if they get a wicket off a no ball, um, the technology can save them. But I just think that's such a bad way of dealing with a problem.
0: Yeah, you can yeah. see why the umpires are doing it because they don't want to make that mistake but they just
2: have to sort it out. they and have, they have to. to be gutsy. I think umpires need to just accept they're going to get lots of criticism all the time and that's just their job and and actually just do their job the best they can. if they make a mistake, they make a mistake.
0: Yeah so Ricky Ponting was saying the other day that he'd like to see every ball reviewed and just a quick. You know, down the line to the umpire saying that was a no ball, and so every single ball. I don't think logistically that would. work. you would probably
2: get like seventy overs in a test exactly. day. Exactly, <laughs>
0: but they are actually. My understanding is that ICC are actually trialling that um, next year. Great, a little bit in in a game, so to see how that goes. But I logistically, I don't see how that could work.
1: Well, the way the good part of that will be that the uh, the bowler will then get that warning that oh, okay, that was a no ball. It's been called, and will then instruct him to move his foot back. The other, the only other solution, and I just can't see this one working, is for everyone just to agree not to let it bother us and just yeah. say, if we're just, you know, maybe even have
2: a censorship thing, have a black mark over the front <laughs> foot, <laughs> the TV cameras. <laughs> That's what Alan Border said actually, he said that TV networks should stop uh, showing footage of the yeah. no balls. But I think nowadays, I mean, you will have people on their iPhones, it's yeah. square leg filming no balls and you know live tweeting them, so. You can't hide something like that.
0: You just had to feel for Nazeem, like when he got that first, his first wicket and then it's taken off him, which we all felt like it was going to be. It's not only unfair on the bowler, though. It's unfair on the batsmen that are facing all these no balls. It's yeah. also
1: unfair on the crowd because I think that the, if an Australian player gets brought back to the crease, I don't really find that satisfying. I find mm, it a hollow feeling. No, yeah. And vice versa, if an Australian wicket gets taken off them... I remember I was at Lords in 2013. I think we went, went an entire day without a wicket and about 5.30, finally Peter Siddle got a wicket and it was taken off from a no ball and I was like, jeez, that's dis- disappointing. <laughs> feels hollow. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how the
2: bowler feels. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in the first test, Pakistan made 240 in their first innings. Mitchell Stark, four for 52. And he's returned to the side. Australia made 580 in reply, and I was thrilled that the engine room of the team fired, so Warner made 154, went to script, back on home wicket, scored a big century. Burns made 97. He was gutted about his dismissal being bowled around his legs off his ear I was gutted watching it. And Marnus finally made a test century, Paul, made 185. So the, the engine room is set up now for the summer.
1: Yeah, it is, although I don't think that I buy into the narrative completely that this means that Joe Burns and Travis Head are locks for the for the side. Ultimately, Australia did get 580. Uh, it was a lot easier than what we faced in the Ashes. The big thing that's coming up for Australia is the tour of India test match-wise in mm. uh, a bit over a year. If we're touring India tomorrow, uh, I'm not so convinced about Burns and Head, Head at this stage. I'm, w- I'm open to be being convinced, but it's not there yet.
0: Nothing about this... Batting this, and this might sound a little controversial, convinced me. What? Because you've got Jaleesa <laughs> with the hard hitting. I didn't expect I this. I know. I know. And what? just hear tell me, tell me. Yeah, I will. I thought, uh, you know, when you've got three, you've got Warner, Burns, and um, La Jane getting massive amounts of runs. It, it felt like to me you could have put maybe Kawaja in there and the same thing would have happened. I felt like this test match it said a lot more about our bowling than it did about our batting.
2: I yeah, agree. I mean, I agree with that. We always yeah. bat well at the Gabba.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so I think the batting lineup will get tested more under lights at the Adelaide Oval with the ball yes. swinging around. But, l- but Jalisa, come on. I mean, how good was Marnus at 185? Marnus you know, is probably
0: the exception. What a there.
2: story there. You know, yeah. First test ton on his new home ground, his dad in the crowd. Yeah. I mean, it was magic stuff.
0: It, look, it was magic. It just, I just don't. Just, you're I've, saying
2: cheap runs. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Our batting lineup to me, I'm not convinced that, I, I don't want it changed because I think, I like the old days in the late 90s when I was a kid where you knew the test side. You know, in and out. You didn't wonder but who apparently was apparently there's be. been like
2: eleven or twelve opening partnerships for Australia, or eleven or twelve different partnerships in the last twenty nine tests. And obviously, yeah. Warner was banned, but that is just way too many. Yeah.
0: So I'd love to get to a point where we know who's going to get picked, where it's not wondering. Are you a Joe is this Burns person? fan? I'm. I'm jury still out for me.
2: He's four hundreds in seventeen tests. Could have been five, which would put him in you know the top echelon of batsmen.
1: Yeah, but that's again, as we've said before, it's not how you measure bats. You okay. measure them on their batting average, right. and he did well. I but I, I, agree with hundred percent with Jaleesa. So do I. Um, Kawaja probably would have got a hundred. Um, oh. Sean Marsh probably would have got a hundred. Oh, no, go. Here that's not go. to criticize. If, criticise if Burns.
0: Pakistan were facing their own bowlers, they would have. I felt like they would have got exactly the yeah, same. Yeah, I agree. I feel like too. our bowling is what really carries us. Wow.
2: Some, well, all right. So, did, so. The engine room is not settled down, according to my panellists. <laughs> Warner, up, Burns, Marnus, look over your shoulder. Um, Pakistan, in their second innings, they were bowled out for 335 after being three for 25 very early on. So I thought a great comeback by Pakistan. Baba Azam made 104. Muhammad Rizwan, 95. Josh Hazelwood took four for 63. Mitchell Stark, three for 73. Uh, So, yeah, great effort by Pakistan to put up a bit of a fight because I think if they'd sort of crumbled on that last day, we'd all be feeling pretty down about the next test. But I think there's something there for Pakistan to build on.
1: Yeah, there is. But I think that the reason I also give them a chance in the next test is that the fact that it's a day-nighter can sort of reduce conditions to a bit of a lottery. If Pakistan happened to demonstrably get conditions in their favour, then they could certainly cause an upset. If the next test was a day game then I'd be having Australia as kind of a 90% chance of winning. Mm -hmm.
0: I think this one will really show where our batsmen are at. This is the one I'm interested in. Ball swinging
2: around a bit under lights. exactly. Mohamed Abbas back in the team.
0: You know, there's a lot of talk when Warner scores all these runs in Australia, you know, Warner's back, but then he goes overseas again and fails over there and then comes back. And and he, and I just – I kind of get a bit sick of that narrative. I sort of want really consistent batsmen. I think this will be really show where they're at.
2: Yeah, we need consistency this summer. That's yeah. what we need. Paul, you've put on the notes here. Australia is the best side in the world now, in my opinion. Mm. Please explain. I noticed that you've bolded the, put that in bold in <laughs> the notes. I didn't put that in bold. Well, I just didn't <laughs> want to forget about your... No, look,
1: obviously, in, if you look at the test rankings, they're not. But if I was being putting money on... It's if if triggered to, all of India. If you're going to have every side playing every other side right now in neutral conditions, I would say that I would pick Australia and India to be the best two. And I would say I think Australia would win in neutral conditions. In India, I'd favour India. In Australia, I'd say that Australia once again would win. I think we're a a much better side than we were last year. It could come to pass. The Test Championship final is slated for Lords in 18 months' time. Uh, I think it could be Australia versus India. And I think at their current point, although India is very, very good, I think that on that pitch, um, our fast bowling
2: would would sort them out. I agree. Australia would probably beat India at Lords, but... (coughs) I'm not sure you can say Australia's the best side in the world right now. I just feel with two. What's a more neutral ground than Lords? Then oh no, I I agree in a neutral ground, but I just feel in terms of like the teams that tour around, like India, I still feel are slightly better away than Australia are at the moment. Yeah. It's a good opinion. I mean, I'm...
0: (laughs) I think they're on their way to be. Like, I think they're on their trajectory.
2: (laughs) I think, actually, you're right. They're on the way, but maybe not there yet. Yeah. Now, listeners, we have... Paul and I are giving out a new Test Player of the Year award. We haven't given it a name yet, but we'll say to begin with it's the Cricket Unfiltered Test Player of the Year award, but we may give it a, a player name as the season goes on. So my points for the first test are... Manus Lobachane, three points. Mitchell Stark, two points for his seven wickets in returning to the side. And David Warner, one point. Paul, your points? Uh,
1: Lobachane, three. Warner, two. Stark, one. It's a bit harsh on the, on, the, on the bowlers as always. Probably Cummins and Hazelwood weren't far behind and Joe Burns wasn't far behind as well. It's probably one of the flaws of these systems that you get another game where Australia get thrashed <laughs> and you find that you're giving one point to the guy
2: who got you know one for 60, but that's the way it is. So that would make minus on top of the Test Player of the Year award so far. Six points ahead of um, Stark, who'd be on three points, and Warner on three points. That's so correct, yep. It's a very tight ladder already, Minus the early leader. All right, now let's preview the second test of the series played on the Adelaide Oval, Day-Night Test. Julissa, can you see the Australian selectors rotating a fast bowler out of that team?
0: I hope not. But anything's possible. I don't agree with rotating anyone at all unless they need to be. So I, in any sport, I like to stick with a winning team, and I just think that if you're rotating people for the sake of it, you just mess with their heads.
2: Absolutely right.
0: And yeah. I think also, I think also the the players know they know if their body needs a rest. So I think it should be up to them if they say, yeah, I'm got a little niggle, I need. And we've have seen in that you know faster bowling attack that there are players that struggle with injury and so I'm sure they're more in tune than anybody whether they needed to be rested.
1: I agree 100%. If you're picking it purely on um, who's the best three fast bowlers at the moment, I think the gap between three and four is sizeable Mm. and that's been a pleasure because after Stark's fairly disappointing first Shield game back this season, there were questions asked and he's answered them extraordinarily well. So I think these three right now jeez, you'd have to go a long way back to find a better three-pronged Australian pace attack um, that we've ever had.
2: Yeah, and if you look at Stark's record with the pink ball, it's exceptional, so he has to play. Then you've got Cummins and Hazelwood. There's no way you could leave them out after what they did in the first test and the Ashes, so I think there has to be some loyalty there to this attack, and, and I think there is something to the balance of the three of them. Like they all sort of mm. a slightly different: Stark, the left-arm attacking bowler; Hazelwood, the line and length, um, you know, workhorse, and then Cummins, who can do everything. It's kind of, I just think, a really good unit.
0: Yeah, they all work in conjunction really well. But in saying that, I think that nothing would surprise me when it comes to selection. I agree with that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and, of course, Mohammed Abbas has to play for Pakistan.
0: Yeah, that was a mistake.
1: Yeah, but, again, I'd say same with Pakistani selectors. <laughs> Nothing that surprise me there
2: either. Yeah. <laughs> all right, uh, we're going to take a quick break in the podcast and then we'll be back with all the cricket headlines. <laughs> You're listening to the Cricket Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, Menes I'm with Paul and Angelisa, our special guest from Channel 9. And let's get into the cricket headlines brought to you by Piccolo Podcasts. Firstly, one of my favourite personalities in Australian cricket has been appointed as the new national selector. I'm talking about George Bailey. I think this is an absolutely A1 appointment. He's a good communicator. He's experienced at state level. He's been an Australian captain. And I also think what really stands out for me, he's been on the fringes of the Australian team, so he knows what that feeling is like of sort of wondering whether you'll be selected or not. So I think it's a great appointment, Jalisa.
0: Yeah, I have to agree with you, especially being on the fringes and, and as you said, knows the team, knows uh, around the team. So I think it's a great appointment.
2: I think that Bailey
1: will probably make a good selector. He seems intelligent. He seems affable and uh, that he's got a degree. You wish he was a computer appointed, don't you? No, I'm just saying... A robot. I'm just saying, (laughs) for such an important job, once again, it disappoints me that they only consider former first-class cricketers. He beat out three other former first-class cricketers and my point is, yeah, you do get some insight from being a former first-class cricketer but in order to... Shrewdly, analytically, calculatingly choose a test side, what is the enormous advantage of being slightly quicker to react to a ball leaving a bowler's hand than the average person. I would say not much. I think it's a different skill set and I'd like to see a quantum scientist or a, um, someone with a, de- a post degree in liquid movement or something um, given a go rather than just an ex-cricketer. But that's just me. And I, Basically, I want to say I want it. not that I have any of those qualifications, but I want the job.
2: <laughs> Did you apply on SEEK when no, they put you. the ad out? Was, yeah, where I mean, was is that ad? It was out there.
1: This is why – no, I can't complain because can I, I was yeah. there
2: for to apply and I could have applied. <laughs> Didn't do it. <laughs> all right, so um, apart from it being like a robot, would you be happy with like a really good robot, like a computer we could just, you know, set up all the parameters and they just select the sides based on like stats and algorithms? And
1: Yeah, you're asking me as though that would be a fanciful notion. I mean, it would probably do a better job than what Trevor Holmes and Rod Marsh have done over the years. <laughs> well, <laughs> I reckon it'd be a few
2: like iPads that could do a better job than them. <laughs> All right, the next bit of news was Tim Payne made a very pointed sledge towards Virat Kohli at the end of the Gabba test. He was asked whether the Australian team wants to play the first test at the Gabba next year. He said, yeah, we'd like to, but I'll have to ask Virat if that's okay. (laughs) And then he said, oh, maybe if Virat's in a good mood, we'll also get to play a day-night test next summer. I really like Tim Payne. Don't know if they were the most sensible remarks to, to take that onto a public forum because one person you don't want to fire up is <laughs> Viral I
0: kind of like it. I kind of like that he's not afraid to fire up Virat Kohli. But I also like Tim Payne sledging in general just makes me laugh because it's never vicious and it's never mean, but it's just all these cheeky little jabs. Even when he's on the field and he's behind the wicket, I just think they're funny.
2: Yeah, And he's quite prickly, Tim Payne. Yeah. I saw it at the press conference after the test and – A very good journalist, Barrett and asked him, you know, does he review his keeping after the game and sort of look at, you know, how he's taking the ball? And he said, what are you talking about? I just catch the ball. I mean, that's all I do. You know, I just (laughs) catch the ball and if I don't catch one, well, I don't catch one. That's why cricketers shouldn't be selectors. So, Paul, do you think Virat Holly will come here next summer with a little bit more... um, fire in the belly after Payne sledged him. I don't think it's
1: possible for Kohler to get more fire in the belly. I I, I think it's interesting, though. Did he make this with the approval or prior knowledge of Cricket Australia? Because I don't know if it's a guarantee that what he's saying is true. Like, did India really say to Australia, we'll play on one of the Gabba or the Wacker, but not both? Or is that just a convenient narrative for Cricket Australia who were thinking, well we don't really want to play in the Gabba because we're going to make less money than if we play at Perth, but we don't want to be seen to be playing in the wrong venue, so, oh, okay, we can let them take the blame. I don't know where the truth lies in that. No,
2: but I think the truth is that India rule the roost. Well, yeah. So if they yeah. don't want to play a day-night test, or they don't want to play in the Gabba, they've got the leverage in the negotiations that they'll get their way eventually. Just
0: even in, like, the fact that we are going over to India in like, the 14th of January is the first... Um, ODI in the middle of the Australian summer. Like, they've just got so much power. And I don't know, maybe Tim Payne wanted to just draw attention to that.
1: Yeah, well, he certainly did. It's a good point that you make, Julissa, that he's got the guts to do it. If I was the captain, I would never offend India at all. I'd just say the most um, lily-white thing. So, yeah, he's got a bit of gumption going. going I wonder if
2: it. it made waves in India, those comments. We should have looked at the local papers in India. But I wonder if they, what their reaction was. I
0: wonder if it made waves through Cricket Australia. Yeah. I really wonder what the reaction was there.
2: <laughs> they might have been, oh, no.
0: <laughs> yeah. Imagine the
2: media, media manager at the end. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see what happens with the schedule. I think it's going to be announced April next year. So we've got you know, four or five months to wait. But I guess, will they play at the Gabba? Will they play a day-night test? There's four tests against India next summer, one against Afghanistan. So let's see how Virat takes that sledge. It's almost like Tim Payne's laid the challenge down. Slap down. Come on. Play a day-night test. It almost
0: makes him look weak, Virat, look weak if he doesn't. Yeah.
2: Payne's just going all in on the psychological warfare (laughs) a year out. Now, the uh, WBBL, the Women's Big Bash League, is heading to an absolutely thrilling finish. uh, With the last weekend's um, play coming, there's still five or six teams in contention. For the semi-finals, but the big story is the the run of losses for the Sydney Sixers, the glamour team in the WBBL. They've lost four in a row. Their captain Elise Perry is out with an injury, and uh, going into the last weekend, they're still in fourth place. But the Melbourne Renegades are hot on their tail, and the Sixers have got two games against the Adelaide Strikers. Uh, so it's going to be a tough weekend for the Sixers. They'll need to win at least one, you think, to make the semis. On top, there you've got Brisbane Heat and Adelaide Strikers and the Perth Scorchers already in the semifinals. Interesting
1: that uh, Mel Jones, I don't know if you heard that, has been saying that they should really carve out a window for the WBBL because if the Scorchers um, do make it to the finals, they're going to lose um, a couple of players and the Renegades would lose a couple as well because England's about to go off on a tour. India and West Indies internationals haven't been considered because they've had um, international series on as well. It's a great opportunity, I think, for the WBBL to say... In a few years' time, there will be a women's IPL in India, in India, no doubt. Let's seize the moment while we're the number one undisputed mm. and force the ICC to carve out a window so that we don't have this going on in the
2: future. I agree, and I can't see why they wouldn't do it because it's so good for the, the health of women's cricket to have the international stars playing over here. It just improves the international standard of the game. So they should absolutely do that, Paul. I agree. It's
0: good for Australian cricket too.
2: Yep. And now, the controversy, though, out of the Women's Big Bash League continues. Now, as we record this, we haven't heard what the Australian Cricketers Association, uh, what their findings were after an extraordinary meeting they called on Tuesday night in reaction to the fact that a WBBL player, Emily Smith, who plays for the Hobart Hurricanes, was banned for a year but it was uh, nine months of that is a suspended sentence. So she has a three-month ban because she sent out a photo of the scorecard of a WBBL game before the game started. And the game was actually rained out, but you're not allowed to put any of that on social media. You're not even allowed to have your phone. So uh, she was banned for three months. So she'll miss three months of cricket basically and 9 months suspended i guess jelissa what do you think too harsh
0: well she's missing 3 uh, it has been reg- like suspended so it's only 3 months but it's 3 really crucial months mm. in the fair dinkum department this was so I like stupid. it the fair dinkum department <laughs> oh it doesn't pass the pub test at all this is so and i understand and you got to stick to the rules and blah 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 but my goodness she was obviously not trying to do anything illegal or anything like that it was it was a mistake and she should have been given a warning it was so harsh
1: if you look just at the actual suspension she copped a year for this and Cameron Bancroft copped nine months for taking a piece of sandpaper out and sandpapering the ball I mean if she cops a year for this he probably should have copped 850 years for that (laughs) yeah um I get what they have to do because they have to be seen to be zero tolerance to even the... Not not there's any match-fixing, obviously, involved in this, but they just have to have a, um, a brutal sledgehammer approach to that because from time to time Australian cricketers get accused of um, match-fixing. The last two years it's happened. Um, the Sun newspaper, Al Jazeera, in my opinion, they were both spurious, nonsensical claims against the Australians. But Cricket Australia need to be able to say, we cop nothing, and so that's what they're doing. I just think what they could have done was given her the year suspension, given her the year's ban, and suspended the entire year. Um, and then I agree. I think that would have been her. much
2: better.
0: Was anyone going to pick up on this if she hadn't have got? like no because it was a think, private account exactly I don't think and from a PR perspective I understand you've got to be seen to be tough but nobody would have picked up on this and gone well Emily didn't get suspended for that so now we're going to write that in the paper and we're going to put it on TV it just wouldn't have happened and I don't under, really understand what the difference is between what she did to Australian teams getting leaked to newspapers
2: well there's no difference I would say um, isn't
0: isn't that – like someone's leaked that. Someone's told someone I guess when that. it
2: comes from the playing group, it's different. But I think that uh, – like if, if a player tweets out a team, I guess that's a little bit of an inside, you know, information. Whereas the newspaper, I guess it's, it's sort of different because it's a source and it's not named. But I, I think that the real thing that came out of this was Alistair Nicholson, the head of the ACA, said – and he said it in different words, but basically this is, again, Cricket Australia dropping the ball and blaming the players. The media manager is supposed to take the phones away. If a player has a phone in that area... Someone above her has made a mistake. He, that person, that media manager, is responsible for taking the phones away. So they should be the ones actually copying most of the heat.
0: One of the things I really like about cricket in general is how hard they are on everything, and that's kept the game really clean across the board. Where other sports have been criticised for not cleaning up certain aspects of their game, but I think are you talking this, about rugby league? Not what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? No, <laughs> but I think. That's one of the things I really love about cricket, but I think this went way too far. All
2: right. Now, yesterday I was travelling all day and I was absolutely shattered that I could not watch the Marsh Cup final. Missing the climax to the one-day domestic competition... Is really hard for me. Like I found yesterday really challenging, uh, but Sean Marsh has led Western Australia to victory in the Marsh Cup, beating Queensland at Allen Border Field. Queensland made 205. WA in reply, six for 210. Sean Marsh, 101 not out. Maybe the highlight of the whole game, though, was Uzman Kawaja. I don't know if you two saw this. Yeah. He did a coin toss where he threw it like a mile in the air. It was the biggest coin toss I've ever seen. And some people have made the comment that perhaps that was in re- response to Warnie's comments that he doesn't look like he's got enough energy. So Kawaja did a, a coin toss that came down with snow on it.
0: It was the most bizarre coin toss. I don't know how they found it.
2: The coin, bo- yeah. The coin. The, yeah. The coin. It, it, it landed up. so far away they kept the camera on the plays and the match referee went over and off camera <laughs> and got the thing.
0: It got a it, – it's kind of good because it got a run everywhere, which then the result got a run everywhere. And then Shaw Marsh got a – it sort of generated a yeah, little of Yeah, like Kawaja
2: just did this massive leap. And, like, it was just the most incredible. So if you're listening and you haven't seen it, go and find the Kawaja coin toss. It's on the cricket.com.au website. One thing about that game is, you know, watching Shaw Marsh's highlights just shows why he's so frustrating because he looked amazing in that mm. century. Fluent stroke play, often league side. You know, he looked a class above every other batter in that uh, match. Yet hasn't quite been able to translate it at the national level.
1: Not quite, but he hasn't gone far away from translating. I've, I've often been one of his biggest critics, but
2: he, he still had a he's had a, a very respectable test, especially career. his one day career. I mean, he yeah. did well when he was called back into the side last summer. It's good to see Nathan Coulton Isle bowling um, quite well as well. Yeah, and uh, Ashton Agar was with Sean Marsh at the end. They put on a good little partnership to get WA over the line. So uh, good for Agar to sort of play a sort of match-winning knock with Marsh. Well, that's it. So the first domestic title goes to Western Australia. Last summer, all the titles went to Victoria and the Renegades. So we've already had that change. WA has the first one. New South Wales are leading the Shield. And uh, the big bash is yet to start.
1: Should give it an acknowledgement to the Marsh Cup in its 19 different iterations over the years. It's 50 years since the first one, 69 70. Oh, wow. Um, it's come and gone in a lot of different ways, and it's at the moment probably, um, you know, the big bash has eclipsed it, but I still have a lot of affection for it when it used to start the season at North Sydney Oval and get big crowds. Um, so it's good to see, Menas, that you're still a massive fan of it too.
2: Uh, I have such good memories of going to North Sydney Oval and watching the Mercantile Mutual Cup. One night in particular, the War Brothers scored centuries – and Wayne Holdsworth came in and hit like 49 off about 12 that, balls. Yeah. And it was one of the best afternoons cricket I've ever been to because you had all the stars playing in this domestic game. I do like the way this summer they spread the competition out a bit longer. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit more visible, the fact that it sort of went you know, into November rather than finishing in you know, early October. And the last bit of news before we take a break – They are going to trial a new Kookaburra ball in the next two shield rounds. Uh, It's got an extra coat of lacquer sort of to try and, I guess, mirror the Duke's ball a bit and give the Kookaburra ball a bit more life. So Paul and I are commentating on the shield game of the SCG New South Wales-Queensland, so we'll check it out.
1: Uh, And it's got to be a good thing. I think that the the Kookaburra ball universally gets criticised. Uh, It's good that they're trying something.
2: All right, we're going to take our final break on the podcast, and then we'll be back with our social media segment. I just want to ask you, if you have a moment, please go on to whatever app you listen to the podcast on, Spotify, Apple, Google, and rate and review the show. And if you're feeling really generous, why don't you share the podcast on social media so uh, all your cricket-loving mates know about the podcast. All right, coming up after the break, we'll be touching on the big fallout between Bogle and Mandraka. Welcome back to the Cricket
1: Unfiltered podcast and the social media segment. Now, uh, Bogle and Mandraka, as Menas referred to just before we went out, have been commentating in the Bangladesh versus India day-night test match. And this little sequence of their discussion around the sighting of the red ball went all over the place on social media.
3: Visibility of that ball will be a big factor against the wide side screen. Don't think so. is when you see the slip catches, the way they've taken catches, I don't think visibility is, is an issue at all. Definitely ask Bassett on both sides, not just using the barrel. He wasn't seeing the ball properly. Or Ajinkya Rane or Chiteshwar Pujar, ask all of them I and mean, just ask them what do you think. Because if, if pink ball cricket is going to be a regular feature, then you just want you to be get sure an everything's working. Of watching from the outside whether the batsman is yeah, seeing that, the ball properly or you not. Know? Yeah, it doesn't cost anything to ask. It's just always good to know everything you around might the Might as game. well ask everything, right? Say nothing Sorry, here. I would players, mind. everything and say nothing from here. If I was doing a postmortem, I'd ask everything. Because I want to know everything about a pingball ball game, see if it's working. Why are so many batsmen getting in? Well, into you the need technique? to ask Harsha for us who played the game. But get a fair idea yeah, about okay. what's happening out there and I say this with some authority because 10-15 years of first class cricket that's what we did a ball very similar in texture to this one it's the reason I'd ask everybody Sanjay because uh, when you've played the game you get a very good idea of what's happened or what the conditions are, are but it cannot be a limitation to learning it, can, it has to be an aid to learning if you'd only ask players you'd never have got T20 cricket you'd never have got day-night cricket So sometimes it's best to just ask everybody what they think and then justify your hypothesis rather than ruling it out before asking. That's the only point I'm making. Point taken, but don't agree. That's the way it should be, isn't it? We agree to disagree
1: absolutely. One thing I'll say for Mandraka is that at least he's an evangelist for the pink ball because I think that that's a good thing. But I just found that unedifying. I've always liked Sanjay Mandraka, but he's carrying on there. And his disrespect to Harsha Bogle saying that, you know if you didn't play the game, you don't really deserve an opinion, was met with great grace and a, a perfect riposte. Basically, Bogle saying, well, if you'd left it up to the players, we wouldn't have had T20 cricket. And I thought that was awesome.
2: Yeah, I just think those comments were puzzling from Mandraker, especially to someone like Harsha Bogle, who's such a respected figure, so good at what he does, and so professional. He's not someone that just throws out big opinions like me or whatever. He's always measured and thoughtful. So I thought Mandraker really let himself down, but... I do know that like a lot of current cricketers, like I asked Hazel with this, they do seem to take on board more what ex cricketers say that a journalist than just normal, uh, just normal, just non you know non playing journalists. They do seem to look at that differently. So there there is still that thing, I think, of cricketers that you know if you haven't played the game at the highest level. I don't know if they respect your opinion as much. I just don't think as many people say it as Mandrake did.
0: I think that's a criticism that all sports journalists get um, In when you're talking about any sport. People will come back at you on Twitter and go, well, you haven't played, so what would you know? And I always think, well, you haven't been a TV reporter, but you know when I stuff up. Exactly. So i I can understand respecting someone's opinion who's done the same job as you in a different way than just a punter so i get it but i also think do, people allowed opinions
1: yeah i agree and I, I i understand i mean craddock has a good reply he always says um you don't have to be a criminal to be a crime writer um and i think that's, <laughs> yeah. a, that's a pretty good one he's a good one but i also understand if i was an ex-player and some you know looking at me the, the non-ex-player bearded and overweight guy criticizing and they think dude any danger of you going out and playing against this kind of fast bowling, you'd have no hope, mate. And that I, I get that, but it still doesn't preclude people from having an opinion, especially someone like Harsha Bogle. I was impressed Harsha Bogle handled it so yes. calmly. I bet he was yes. ticking inside, but he didn't let
2: any of that smooth veneer.
0: That audio is just so uncomfortable to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> Jaleesa, what
2: about your experience with social media? You're a very visible sports reporter, female. I mean, how, Do you get a lot of shit on social media? Um,
0: surprisingly, I don't get as much as I probably should (laughs) Um, I get a sometimes you get the odd comment here and there and some of them can be really foul Um, and I my way to deal with that is I like to retweet them because I'm just like
2: exposed there some of them are funny and I'm like
0: oh this is so I just retweet people who just have a crack but then because usually then the people that follow you Mm. sort of do the job for you
2: and does it ever upset you? Like I know some people, <sighs> they get a lot of negative stuff. They can, it can get them down. Does, does that ever get to you?
0: I probably haven't had as harsh of criticism to get me down. It's probably just being comments here and there. And usually everything that I put out, I really think about before I put out if it's offensive, if there's, you know – what the argument is. So I don't put things out like, you know, three wines in on a Friday. Sometimes (laughs) I do. but um, So I generally am pretty secure in what I'm saying. I'm not putting it out there just to say.
2: Great. You don't mind the criticism then?
0: No. And I always really like to hear other people's opinion um, because then sometimes someone says something and I'm like, oh, okay, right, I get that. So I like to hear – Um, other people's opinion, when it starts to get really foul in people, I don't block anyone because I just think, you know, I don't want to show that they bother me and um, I just like to retweet people.
2: (laughs) Good plan. (laughs) What about dealing with players in various sports? How does that
0: go? Um, Generally, I find players, particularly cricketers, fantastic to deal with. And cricket in particular is just such a well-run sport in Australia that everyone from the top to the bottom is always – I've never had a problem dealing with anyone and they've always been a pleasure, always been really respectful um, and generous with their time too.
2: So, Julie, any other sports or athletes you found it difficult sort of dealing with?
0: Um, without naming any specific clubs or people or anything like that, just the, the things that I find most difficult are when people are so closed off um, and don't even let you tell a good story, which um, –
2: the what they think you're always out to get them Yeah, kind exactly, of
0: thing. exactly. And I think uh, the best thing that you can do as a sport is give media a lot of access because otherwise you're going to see your sport go the same way as, say, super rugby has gone where it's almost invisible. Um, and so I find that frustrating in some sports, but I can say in cricket, that's not a problem. We have fantastic access in cricket.
1: Matt Renshaw has starred in a TikTok video that the Brisbane Heat have put up. He and Laba Shane are in a little drill to see who can grab the ball first and Renshaw wins. It's a nice, clever little TikTok, and it heralds the arrival, as far as I can tell, of the first Australian sports team on TikTok. Now, I haven't searched every
2: single team, so correct me if I'm wrong. But, but- they clearly followed us, because we went on TikTok like a week ago. They pr- clearly saw that and went, Cricket Unfiltered knows what they're doing and imitated us. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, but as far as I can see, no other site other
1: than the Brisbane Heat, certainly no other BBL site are on there. Um, so great work from the Brisbane Heat. The NRL has just arrived on um, TikTok. The NBL has just arrived on TikTok. TikTok is an absolute phenomenon. And I thought, this is pretty cool. And then I thought, I'll just check
2: to see how other countries are doing this. And can I-, I just interrupt one sec? I did yes. hear that TikTok now has as many users as Instagram, Um, so it's, you know, it's huge. It has a feeling to me that I felt about Facebook in 2007.
1: Everyone who's young wants to be on it and everyone who's older than 22 thinks it's stupid. And that's what Facebook was like then. And now, you know, the most common users of Facebook are like, you know, almost grandparents. I'm so so out of
0: touch. I still don't get it. (laughs)
2: Facebook or TikTok? TikTok. <laughs> <All right. No.
0: laughs> don't worry, I'm not that out of touch. <laughs> no, TikTok. I did get a TikTok, but I, I don't really know what I'm doing on it.
1: Well, I'll tell you who does get it. The NBA, I think, are the gold standard in marketing. And I thought, oh, how have they been going? expecting that they, like other Australian sports, would have been on it for five minutes. They've been on it for three years. And in that time, they've released 2,378 TikToks. Wow. They have 6.1 million followers. They've received 95.3 million likes for their video. So not views, that's likes. So guesstimating, I would say they've probably had in the order of a billion views. So that's a billion views of their videos so that's a billion people engaging with their sport yeah obviously it can be lots of people the same number of times but a billion separate views which when you think about it that everyone on tiktok is famously 16 or 17 that's the marketer's dream that um over the last couple of years wouldn't have been great if uh cricket australia had had All of the clips up there—that would have been a a magnificent opportunity. The opportunity, I think, still exists because um, the 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 time is now. Still growing. The the time is now to strike. But ICC, I noticed, were on it, but they only posted during the Cricket World Cup for two months. They did brilliantly—one point one million followers. They were getting loads and loads of views. One video alone of Virat Kohli imitating Boomer's action while warming up before a World Cup game got twenty-one million views. They were doing magnificently—not not that much worse than the NBA, really, when you think about it. And then they stopped in July the last game of the World Cup, they've done nothing since. So I'd say the BBL should be on TikTok, the WBBL should be on TikTok, Cricket Australia should be on TikTok and the ICC should be on TikTok and um, now's the time to do it. Agree. We We are are on on TikTok.
2: TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) So where can they find us? If you want to go, what, putting cricket unfiltered on TikTok, we've been putting up daily reviews, 50-second hot takes from each day of the test. Uh, we put up yesterday our, uh, what was it? Low light from the test match. Yep. And we're putting up some more videos on there. With Yeah, it's, re- it's really fun actually because they're short and snappy so it makes you just get to the point.
1: Yeah. So search for Cricket Unfiltered on TikTok and give us a follow. Um, search for me on TikTok as well, paul.dennett. I have my own account where I do a lot of... um Stuff about Don Bradman in the 1920s, which is all the rage of the 15 year olds. So, yeah, um. Paul's
2: been going absolutely <laughs> viral. One of his videos got 50,000 views. That's insane. <laughs> it is insane. Like you said it. Uh, all right. Finally, we got a message from Bryce Mitchell. He asked me whether I would announce my super coach team. So, Bryce, thanks for sending in the message and you also sent some good social media content. I will not be doing Super Coach this season, uh, so I will not be announcing my team. That's the Big Batch Supercoach, not the NRL Supercoach. Any
1: reasons that you'd like to divulge for this?
2: Well, I think it was pretty clear last summer when I did did it and did not change my team after the first game that I wasn't really into the Big Batch Supercoach. So uh, now that I don't have the corporate imperative to, to spruik it, <laughs> I won't be spruiking it. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, well, is that it for the show? I think so. Jaleesa, thank you so much for coming on the Cricket Unfiltered thank podcast. Thank you for having
0: me. This was so much fun. Oh,
2: it's really great to have you on. And if the listeners want to find you on Twitter or Instagram, where can they go?
0: Jaleesa, so that's one S, J-E-L-I-S-A, apps, double Great. On everything. Fantastic. There's only one of me.
2: <laughs> well... <laughs> Good to know. Paul, where can they find you? At the underscore summer underscore game on Twitter. And uh, I'm at Amenas on Twitter and at Amenas Cricket. And you can find the podcast at OzCricketPod. Cricket Pod. That's AUS Cricket Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Go to our TikTok Cricket Unfiltered. Uh, we are going to be back after the second test to review that. And Angelisa, um, next time you come on the podcast, we'll do a TikTok. How's that? Oh, that's good. You'll have to
0: teach me. We'll have to have a <laughs> tutorial before that.
2: Perfect. Thanks, listeners. Back next week. <laughs>
0: we